Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. This is Dr. John Mike. I'm an assistant professor of exercise science at Lindenwood uh, University. Um, I love to eat a lot of food, pancakes. I love taking up space. And I love <laughs> shutting down any and all catering that may occur. Mm. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm an exercise physiologist. I run my own training and nutrition consulting business, a bunch of other projects, and teach for Globe University. And uh, this is Kale Schultz. I, uh, I currently run a company called 8711 Action Design, uh, where I'm a part-time stuntman, part-time trainer, um, and I guess all-around lover of heavy things. Right on. Nice. Okay, Sweet. fellas. Uh, we've got a little bit of news as usual, and then we're going to get to Kale's origin story here. Uh, there's a couple of things in the news. One of them I just want to... This is partly a gripe, and I'm going to get your guys' opinion on this too, but I was leaving through a Flex magazine at the gym, and you know, sometimes people make fun of like muscle and fiction and that sort of thing. And Anyway, I don't always count Flex in that same ballpark. I mean, they have some interesting things you can sort of um, – it's almost like Wikipedia to me. You know, It's sort of a lead you can follow up on, but there was an article on booze and lifting, uh, and uh, – I did, let's just – I'm going to try not to be judgmental, but, you know, when you're a professor, you look at this. You can't help but almost – you, like, grade things, you know, when you read them. Because sometimes <laughs> these fitness writers, I don't know. They just – they haven't been around the block quite enough maybe. Um, so I will just say we missed some missed opportunities here. But, like, one of the things that was pointed out – and I'm not going to use his name. Uh, but there was a mention that alcohol, that ethanol was the fourth macronutrient – um, I understand what he's trying to say, that it's it's got calories, wow. but alcohol is not a nutrient, right? Nutrients are things your body needs. So he's like, many people don't realize it's the fourth macronutrient, and I'm just kind of wincing. Was it a joke? I don't think it might be a joke, but maybe not. No, I don't, it came across – the article was fairly dry. I don't think it was oh, tongue-in-cheek. Wow. Tongue um, I think <laughs> he's trying to say it has – you know, seven calories in a gram. And mm-hmm. great, that's fine, you know. And he was comparing, like, brown liquor versus wine and this and that. And the other missed opportunity, I think, there, other than telling people that, you know, yes, there's calories, but no, it's not a nutrient, um, is ethanol. I've actually seen some research on increased markers of muscle damage and stuff with eccentric training mm-hmm. after a night of drinking. So, uh, oh, yeah. you know, I- I've known guys that be like, oh, it's just extra calories. Add it to the uh, bulking diet, you know, and that sort of stuff. But on the flip side... Ethanol does some pretty nasty things to soft tissue and stuff like that. So I think you, there's a kind of a fine line you're walking there, you know, when it comes to ethanol. But um, anyway, was that, it was it was it like a newer article or anything, or was it just a, kind of an old school? Uh, no, well, it was the traditional like one page spread kind of thing about you know just a, a fitness tidbit. But and again, not knowing this author, I didn't recognize his name. I don't read fit, muscle magazines that much anymore, to be honest. 
Yeah, uh, I don't either. But there are some qualified editors working at some of these muscle mags, you know, and I, I understand that the, they just need tidbits here and there, but just some of this stuff. I just felt like if I would have written a, a piece like this, I think I would have been more careful uh, and not missed some of the opportunities that I think were missed. I'll just try to be, you know, politi- yeah, politically Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, honestly, since I pretty much almost eliminated drinking totally, although I still do like some tequila every once in a while, it's definitely been a total health improvement. So yeah, I can get on board ever with that. <laughs> well, you know, excessive drinking, I've seen work on drinking and pot smoking and stuff like that, raising estrogen levels. And, you know, I don't know if you want a lot of that running wild on you. So, I mean, there's pros and cons here, and I don't know. Um, the other thing, and this is also kind of a gripe, and you guys might laugh at this, uh, but you guys are familiar with the classic waist to hip ratio thing, you know, as a marker mm-hmm, of cardiovascular mm-hmm. disease, of course. Um, I'm just want to posit here. I'm going to put it out there that that's completely invalid with guys who've squatted for years. Because oh, yeah. when I relax my abs, have you ever seen a picture of Dizzy Gillespie, the horn player? His cheeks are like, you know, when he blows a horn because he stretched them out, you know. And I'm thinking, regardless of my body fatness or my cardiac risk, I mean, if I just tense my abs a little, I think I shave three, four inches off my gut. You know what I mean? And I don't mean suck it in purposefully. I just mean at what tension level should you take a waist to hip ratio? You know, because when you get guys with thicker abs, and you can see my abs right now. I'm not real lean, but you can see all my abs. You know, and I'm just thinking – this is just from years of squatting, you know. I've just I've, I've stretched out my abs a little bit, and I just thought to myself, how, I should just throw a monkey wrench into some of the students' thing in like body comp class, you know, and be like, let one of them take my my waist to hip ratio, and then let another one do it, just with different, you know, tension levels on my gut, <laughs> and, <laughs> and not tell them and be like, oh, I'm way off. He looks like he's going to die tomorrow, and the other guy's like, I don't know, he doesn't. He's going to be ninety. He's going to live to be ninety five. So. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that's something we need to think about that's special to our population, and maybe listeners can identify with that. But if you've squatted for years, either the muscle thickness or a little bit of stretching, you know, as you push out your gut with that squatting, um, it makes yeah, a gigantic it's just a, difference. Yeah, it's just a brace. Yeah, exactly. It's just a bracing effect, you know, from a increase in intra-abdominal pressure that you get for stabilization purposes. I mean, that's really what it is. And, yeah. you get, and it's like people get so afraid of that, but then you have – you know, women and female competitors that, you know, they're not really worried about that. But it, the people that are kind of worried about that are just like that, just the average gym trainees or females who, you know, are afraid to. Well, or bodybuilder types, you know, a lot yeah, of times yeah, you see exactly. them. Like I can tell you the last time I competed, it was really hard to constantly flex and suck in my gut, you know, and keep my abs tight while I was while you're trying to breathe deeply, you know, because you're sweating and in the middle of a competition. I don't know. So maybe it is, yeah, just the physique oriented people, but. It just really struck me that, Jesus, you know, I can have, depending on if you take it like right at the umbilicus, you know, I could have giant differences in that. And I just thought, you know, maybe that's not valid then. Uh, so if you're a weightlifter and you're told you have cardiac risk uh, because of your gut size, I think you need to say, listen, there's nothing in those formulas about how much you're tensing your, your abs anyway. Yeah. And I think also from an appearance standpoint, too, a lot of people who, you know, squat a lot and that type of thing have more what's called an anterior pelvic tilt. And yeah. so pelvis is tilted a little bit more forward, which obviously is going to you know push everything more towards the front. Right, make right? you look Compared more dotic. Someone, even if you look at it from especially a side view, um, so you have people have more of a neutral position, which for most is rotating their pelvis back a little bit or posterior pelvic tilt. 
oh, wow, it looks like you actually lost a few inches then, right? You're just changing that sort of visual appearance. Too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just kind of validity issues with that <clears throat> whole thing. I think so much of what we do is these formula formulae, they're geared toward the gen pop. They're averages. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it's probably not true with somebody who's 22 years old. But again, you get some of the veteran lifters. They've been squatting for a really long time. I do think it changes that stuff. Anyway. Um, and the uh, real news here, other than just the fussing, uh, a star student of mine sent me an uh, abstract. You guys saw this, I think, on uh, curcumin supplementation and how it yeah. appears to uh, attenuate delayed onset muscle soreness. Strength and muscle sport news. Now, this is something I've researched before myself as far as the DOMS, the delayed onset muscle soreness. I was looking at different lipids and their ability to reduce the subsequent pain. And uh, for the record, CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, does do that a little. But this is um, curcumin. So basically what they, they gave oral curcumin supplementation. So if you're not familiar, this is in curry powder, turmeric, that sort of thing. But also in supplements, they gave 2.5 grams twice daily and compared it to a placebo on single leg jump performance in um, DOMS, you know, soreness, following unaccustomed heavy eccentric exercise. And, of course, like me, John, you've done a ton of stuff with eccentric stuff. Both of our dissertations were on this stuff. But two days before, all the way through three days after, they kept doing this twice daily, two and a half grams of curcumin. Uh, they took a bunch of measures on pain and blood markers of damage uh, at zero, 24 and 48 hours uh, of extra after exercise, they used a 1 to 10, just a visual analog scale, you know, and if, if you're not familiar listeners, you just have subjects point to how sore they are on this 10 scale. They looked at muscle swelling, single jump height, and then markers of damage and inflammation. Here's the, here's the thing. At 24 and 48 hours post-exercise, the curcumin uh, did cause moderate to large reductions in pain uh, in different settings. They did this pain sort of question uh, during single leg squatting, gluteal stretching, uh, squat jumps, that sort of thing. Uh, and there was. There, it looked like there was about a 1.5 unit drop on this 10 scale in soreness that was pretty consistent. Uh, they also saw small reductions in creatine kinase activity, around 25% or so. Uh, and they saw a small increase in single jump performance of about 15%. <clears throat> So it does seem to be having some kind of analgesic or anti-inflammatory effect. It said it increased interleukin-6 concentrations 31% uh, immediately after exercise and at 48 hours after exercise. I find that weird because IL-6, you would think, would go down. Yeah. You, know, because, you may want it acutely to go up and then drop, right? Uh, yes, yeah. right. And I think that's what happened. It said it decreased at 24 hours post-exercise. Uh -huh. So like in the, in the middle there sort of, it that's went weird. down 20%. I looked at IL-6 myself. I know that CLA also reduces IL-6 a little. Listeners, interleukin-6 is inflammatory uh, and sort of catabolic in a way. So it's a kind of thing you might want to see go down. So the overall conclusion is that oral curcumin likely reduces pain associated with DOMS. There is some evidence, they say, for enhanced recovery. By the way, this is Nicole, N-I-C-O-L, uh, EJAP, European Journal of Applied Phys, 2015. So this is brand new from a student now, I have seen other papers. Last year, I saw a paper on uh, a curcumin delivery system. It was from the Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition. And um, 
I don't know. It, that one seemed a little commercial to me, to be honest. I'm not saying they were biased, but they used words like a powerful antioxidant, and it's already <laughs> commercially available. They actually mentioned that right in the abstract, and you know that makes me a little more hesitant. Um, but in that study, uh, I think they gave them a gram twice daily instead of 2.5 grams, so they, I think they gave them less. But they used MRI and stuff, and... Um, they showed some reductions in the MRI stuff, but not so much the blood markers of damage. So I don't know. I, I think you got to be careful measuring creatine kinase and some of these enzymes in your blood as as a, a scale of damage. Because yeah. I was always taught that it was more or less like an off-on switch. You know, it's elevated or it's not. And if you're looking at 10 20% reductions, that may not mean anything, you know. Yeah, because I did a peer review on a paper a while back, and that was one of my criticisms was that they measured CK levels, <clears throat> but they didn't have any performance measurement after that. And they were trying to say that, oh, this is, you know, reduces damage. Okay, that's all right. But then they were trying to say, well, this should, you know, help your performance. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You don't you you're kind measure of in that, that gray area where maybe, maybe not, and you didn't measure a type thing. Mm -hmm. so. Right on. Anyway, so curcumin, uh, huge amounts of attention to that stuff. And I, I did buy a big bag of turmeric powder, like straight turmeric. Um, but wow, I find hardcore. it well. I find I find this stuff hard to, frankly, cook with. It stains everything it touches. Oh, it's a mess. You know, yeah, yellow. Yeah, it does. Oh. And I don't know. I may have to go the supplement route. Uh, my wife was just telling me about some type of curry milk, uh, where they put it in milk. I mean, people, you know, like in um, cultures from India and that sort of area, and, uh, geographically, of course, they consume huge amounts of this stuff. So I don't know. Um, I was trying to make yeah. some breakfast potatoes with it. Uh, it. I just find it hard to cook with, but and I th I think it'd be tough to get that clinical dose with the turmeric powder versus all the studies I've seen. It you know have been um, curcumin extract or whatever. Right, right, yeah. So, and you know the messes may not just be may not be worth it. You know, frankly, because yeah. like you said, I'd have to eat it like every meal or something. I don't know. But I love. I've, I've been taking curcumin for probably a year, and I I love it. I think it's great stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm about for, to take the plunge. It's yeah it's, for general for general not you know I I was I originally got into it to try to get away from the ibuprofen so much that I right fell on with as well exactly but, uh, and I think it does a little more for that overall body kind of ache and inflammation. It's it's not much for acute pain for me anyways. Although I've heard that some people use it that way. Right. Yeah, I use I use I've been using fish oils for years for kind of like anti-inflammatory type of process because i used to be mm -hmm. the kind of same way like earlier on i would just load up on uh you know like anti-inflammatories and i would just like you know and 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 there is some you know more of a negative effects on strength and hypertrophy in terms of uh you know pathways and things like that and affecting the, the hypertrophy process with like anti-inflammatory exactly so I, I i usually take i take fish oils in the morning and typically after every training session i take like three fish oils and, um, you know, just to kind of stay loose and kind of start the recovery process. Right on. I do that, too. I'm still sort of an ibuprofen junkie. I know Phil is as well. But, I mean, Mike and I uh, saw something, Dr. Nelson and I, when we were in Spain, about how yeah. ibuprofen may in interfere with the actual resolution of recovery and healing. Aspirin didn't seem to do it, but ibuprofen did. Uh, but I'll tell you, I swear by my three or four ibuprofen as far as, you know, I, I don't hurt uh, the inflammation, you know, I'm looking for that anti-inflammatory dose, not just a weak little analgesic <clears throat> dose. But at the same time, I'm worried, right? Is this going to interfere with hypertrophy and that kind of stuff? 
uh, or not to mention some of the gastric bleeding and stuff from constantly popping aspirin ibuprofen. So, yeah, like kale, I guess I'm looking for that alternative, you know, so uh, maybe try the higher dose turmeric. And I know the bioavailability of it in general is kind of poor. So a lot of the supplements will combine it with, you know, black pepper or something like that to try to bump that up a little bit, too. But, right, you know, yeah. you'll have to you know, try it and report back to us, see how it goes. Yeah. I think that's key, the black pepper and also yeah. a source of fat with it, I yeah. think, is key as well. Yeah. I, I know that a lot of the um, the phytochemicals and plant, you know, ex- standardized extracts and stuff, they don't, a lot of them don't have really high bioavailability. Yeah. They were trying to add, like, bioperin and stuff to things. I mean, uh, I've seen actually some work with resveratrol, though, um, that's got a lot of attention for anti-aging, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and it did not, at least the paper I looked at, did not really support uh, improvements for delayed onset muscle soreness like their curcumin is doing. So there may, I really think there's something to it. So um, n- now with Kale saying it, it's helping him too, I may just, uh, you know, I try to yeah. avoid just hearsay, but there's evidence. I'm, I'm holding evidence in my hand with some abstracts. Now I've got, you know, people saying, yeah, try it, try it, try it. So I, I'm going to have to try it. It's not a miracle drug, you know, if you're waiting, like ibuprofen, I can take that like before a squat session and just feel like a superhero. Right. Acutely. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get that effect. But I believe, I, I think overall it's, it definitely helps. It's like fish oils. I remember, or uh, CLA, uh, Joey Antonio, Dr. Antonio, he sort of laughed when I did my dissertation. So, cause I dosed them for six weeks so I could saturate their tissues, you know, with this lipid. And he's like, congratulations, you found a uh, natural aspirin that takes six weeks to work. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, you know, but it's food. But the whole point is it's not an NSAID. It's food, you know, and the same thing with the turmeric. So different mechanism, too. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, all right, Kale. Thanks for your patience there, brother. Uh, Let's talk about you. Let's talk about your origin story and, uh, you know, uh, what you're about. Okay, I guess I'll start at the beginning. I. uh Born in, in Michigan, uh, moved back and forth between Pennsylvania and Michigan a few times and ended up in a little town, Dexter, Michigan, outside of Ann Arbor. Always played sports as a kid, uh, mostly football, baseball. Um, never really got into lifting much in my younger years. Uh, I was always just a supplement to, you know, sports training kind of thing that the coach would make us do or whatever. I ended up Moving my senior year to uh, a town in uh, Pennsylvania, northeast, right outside of Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, And I actually became a pretty decent football player my senior year. And I then ended up uh, just kind of – but I was always kind of that chubby kid. You know, I played – I was on the line. I played guard. um, But always athletic. And then kind of one day, as far as my my start to bodybuilding and really weight training, I kind of just – it really happened one day I looked in the mirror and I was just kind of like, I don't, I'm not happy with being the chubby kid anymore. And, uh, kind of made a decision right there to just improve everything, strength, look, whatever involved me in losing a lot of weight at first, which is not a good idea. As everybody knows, if you want to be big and strong, I, I probably, I cut about 50 pounds in about three months. Mm. Um, wow. and then became really skinny and weak, which is not what I was going for either. And then that's when I kind of started the pursuit of, of bodybuilding. Uh, 
more aesthetically at that point because when you're in high school and you're you're going to college that's kind of a lot more concern for most kids like how you're gonna look how the girls want to look at you all that kind of stuff versus really knowing what I was doing so I'm just I was that kid I'm reading flex magazine and reading all that stuff and just following whatever they say taking all of the supplements and I mean all of them Um, (laughs) even and that was kind of right remember the um the pro hormone craze oh yeah Uh, oh the norandro and the andro and I mean I couldn't (laughs) I my my parents were seriously worried because I had a cupboard full of just everything you could imagine um so that was a quite a learning process but I did fall in love with uh you know lifting weights so I guess that's a good thing that came out of it. And I always continued, found some good friends that like to do that. And then just it was more of a hobby for me. I was in college for electrical engineering. So uh, it really had nothing to do with that. And um, to this day, I've never taken anything formally on nutrition or um, fitness, I guess. You know, I don't have any degrees and I've never been certified in anything. But it's been more of I've just put in the time in the gym, experimenting mostly on myself. Um, and then, yeah, just a huge hobby of mine. I ended up um, moving to California about five years ago now um, to pursue this job I have now, 8711 Action Design. We kind of do uh, – started off doing basically the fight choreography and action for most – a lot of the, the big action movies you've seen. There's two owners that – very accomplished stuntman who then got into stunt coordinating and second unit directing um, and, and formed that company. And they hired me to kind of run it. And at the time, I was mostly hired because of my my management skills, uh, business management-wise, that kind of thing. But when I got there, I realized this place is this crazy, amazing um, training facility mm. that has uh, a pretty a pretty decent-sized little gym in there. With It's basic, but, you know, the stuff, squat racks, bench, dumbbells, all that stuff. And then we have a gymnastic spring floor where we do all our fight choreography. And they slowly started pulling me out of the office to then – get involved with the stunt work, the fight choreography. I also picked up some personal training clients along the way. And uh, I guess it's just kind of spiraled from there. And and then about maybe three years ago, I was squatting down at the 24-hour fitness here in Hermosa Beach. And I ran into a guy named Gordon Santee. And I don't know if you guys know that name, but um, he's kind of a legend in the powerlifting world. Uh, little guy, I call him the Yoda of powerlifting because he's only about 100... <laughs> He's about 138 pounds, and I believe now he's 67 years old. But I think at 64 years old, he pulled a, a triple body weight deadlift. Jeez. Wow. Um, so he, he holds just about every record that I know of at that weight class and for his age for sure. And he kind of just befriended me at the gym and said, look, you need, you need to come train with us. And I thought it was a little weird when a you know a little old man approaches you in the gym. <laughs> Why don't you come to my house for training next week? And I'm kind of <laughs> right. What so uh, this is this is kind of scary actually, but uh, him and another guy named Javier and I became great friends with them and and that's when I then started powerlifting I guess for the most part changed kind of my focus from just you know bodybuilding um, to more of just being concerned with strength um, and that was a huge change positively I guess um, stopped worrying so much about what I look like stopped worrying more a little bit about performance relaxing on all the crazy diet and stuff like that um and then i I had a friend introduce me to uh the paleo i guess world um and read a few books in that direction and then that kind of i mixed in with my powerlifting and with the training and 
I guess I just decided I'd rather be strong and healthy than, you know, have a six pack every day. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's tough. I still, I mean, I still, I still am in really good shape, but, um, you know, there's always, uh, I guess sacrifices in each direction you got to make. Sure. Specificity, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I go back and forth. Sometimes I'll just go on a straight bodybuilding kick for maybe three or four months. Um, and just get lean and, and that kind of thing. And then I'll go back to powerlifting. And, but I've also started to pursue some martial arts, um, namely judo. So mm-hmm. that is a surprisingly kick in the ass uh, as far as training <laughs> goes. Doing a couple hours of judo in the morning and then Ooh. trying to do some heavy weights is... Just exhausting, yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And I, I, I hit that overtraining line real quick, you know, in a matter of a week or two where I'm just so exhausted. So, but I like that too. So I'm trying to incorporate that, figure out how I can manage all that stuff together. Plus my job, plus the stunt work, you know, plus my life here in California with my girlfriend and the dog. Um, I guess that's where I'm at now. All right. No, cool. I'll tell you what, everyone, we are just about at the half point. So let's go ahead and take a quick break. We come back. Um, we're going to talk about hypertrophy and the stunt man thing. We'll focus on that a little. We haven't actually spoken uh, to a stuntman before on the show. Uh, so we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development on the right side of the page. You can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine US dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's gonna drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people and you can even rent it uh, lower down the page they have 180 day rentals and one year rentals so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information so thanks Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So, uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> your weekly fix of iron radio in addition to being a popular institute on itunes we are also on email simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once per week email no more 
That's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hey guys, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson here with Dr. Lonnie Lowry and Dr. John Mike. And this week we're talking to Kale Schultz, Schultz, who is a stuntman and a self-proclaimed professor of hypertrophy, I believe. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. That is correct. I believe that's what I said at the conference. Yeah. I'm up, there, no, I'm up there with Mike and a team of doctors, and then they look down at me, and they're like, who's this guy? Oh, he's the meathead we've ordered. <laughs> the professor. It's awesome. <laughs> no, it was, it was very cool. I initially met Kale at uh, Paleo Effects this past year that my friend Keith Norris put together. And, um, yeah, it was a very interesting panel on hypertrophy. It was myself, uh, Dr. Andrew Gelpen, and was it Menno was on there too, I think? Yeah, Menno. Um, yeah, and so um, Kale was on there too. So I, it, the thing I thought that was very interesting about you is I'm always fascinated by. It's one thing for a person to go to the gym and you know I want to look bigger and that type of thing, and that's totally cool. I think it's another thing if, for example, doing stuntman and doing things like that that are a little bit out of the box. Then on a daily basis, you have to use your body in order to perform. So I think there's a huge driver there to try to figure things out that other people don't have right so if the average college kid eh, if their biceps aren't a little bit bigger probably not that big of a deal right but if you're doing a particular type of stunt and you can't get into a position or do something it could be very very bad consequences from that so yeah i'd be interested in sort of definitely from that perspective what are some things that you've kind of learned along the way that you didn't really expect to learn i guess well, I guess I'd have to say, number one, flexibility is key because um, <laughs> as a stuntman, you get put in a lot of uncomfortable positions, you know, just falling, oh, sure. you know, you get, you watch people get hit by cars, um, that kind of thing. And the more flexible you are and the better your body conforms and bends, the better off you're going to be. So we, we spend a lot of time like purposely just falling down mm-hmm. um, and there is a method to that, <laughs> believe it or not, how to, how to fall down from a variety of angles of positions without hurting yourself. And that's, that's probably, I'd say a, a huge part of the stunt work is not, and, and, you know, cause you can't get hurt. Um, guys get hurt all the time, but then you're out of work. Yeah. Uh, one of those guys that consistently gets hurt, nobody's going to want to hire you. Yeah. And that, and that comes too from a lot of times knowing your own limits, the safety aspects, you know, put forth in the stunt and, you know, a stunt coordinator, that's not going to ask you to do stuff that's out of your, you know, I guess ballpark is what you're capable of. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, you know, getting hurt, uh, you know, one of my questions that I had for you or uh, over your, you know, career doing stunt work, um, what are some of the, you know, uh, minor and or major injuries that, that, that you've had? Um, and, you know, um, and it, has there been anything that has just been um, a severe injury to where it's actually affected, you know, your performance on set or, you know, even you, you just were not able to do any stunt work at all? Uh, me specifically, no, not yet. I, I'm kind of reserved. And and one thing about the stunt world is you'll probably work a lot more if you're your average, uh, you know, 5'8 to 5'10 guy that weighs about 175 pounds or so, you know, because that's that's what most people look sure. like going to double an actor um and actors are usually pretty small surprisingly mm, yeah yeah uh, so a lot of our guys you know they're kind of working in that range where i'm you know six four two hundred and thirty five two forty ish so i typically play the bouncer the bodyguard the big soldiering type 
And of course, at that point, I'm not doing, you know, flying spin kicks or <laughs> that kind of craziness. You know, a lot of just getting punched or shot or fall down. I've never done anything crazy like high falls or car hits. Um, mostly a lot of just big, you know, as you'd expect a big guy to do a fight scene. And, you know, I don't have to be, have a lot of skills, <laughs> I guess, to do that. You know, it's but then again, probably every time you're going to end up with some bruises, um, some scrapes, some cuts on your hands. You know, the unprotected areas. If if we can, of course, you know, hopefully I'm in some sort of uh, suit or um, I mean, and not not bathing suit like I was in John Wick, not a speedo. <laughs> but uh, you know, like a full on suit or some kind of military outfit where you can put pads underneath. You know, knee pads, elbow pads, back pads, even. So that way, when you do fall, it's it's a little more forgiving. But a lot of the times, you know, because me, I've been hired most because the way I look. Uh, quite a few roles, I've definitely have my shirt off. And then, you know, when you fall on concrete with no shirt on, you know, you're gonna get beat up and yeah. bruised. Uh, but that's just that's just part of it. Um, you you accept that and you move on. <laughs> There's no really trying to say I'm you know I'm not gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best not to get any cuts or scrapes today because it's just not gonna happen. You know, Kale, I got a question for you. It seems like to me, and again, I'm ignorant about the stuntman thing, but it's, you're sort of interesting uh, case because I think you're the first muscle-related activity, you know, kind of guy we've had on. Uh, you guys seem to be valued not just for performance uh, or athleticism, but for your ability to more or less be invulnerable. You know, yeah. and I think that's interesting to me is your robustness. I mean, because you can talk about strongmen, bodybuilding, powerlifting, and you know. Especially with bodybuilders, I mean, their movements are much more controlled. They're not being thrown onto concrete, barebacked, and that kind of stuff, you know. But yeah. is that fair to say that you guys are – your career longevity and your value to people is your relative invulnerability? Oh, 100%. Um, especially for a lot of our fight team, you know. Um, and it, it all – and that's the thing, which is cool. It all A lot of it goes back to your training and you condition your body to literally just take a beating, you know, like any – and as far as longevity goes, it, you do kind of have a window. It's almost like being a pro athlete of some sort. You know, football players, I, I think I've seen things where they maybe only usually stay in the league. Like the average is like three or four years. But um, most pro football players, you know, after 10, 12 years – they're pretty beat up and they're probably going to retire. And, and I feel stuntmen are the same way. You've kind of got this window where you're young and healthy um, and then you slowly get beat up over the years. I mean, I don't know anybody that's, you know, in their 30s or 40s that doing stunt work for a while that doesn't have broken bones, yeah. uh, had knee replacements, mm -hmm. scar tissue, replacements, mm -hmm. um, concussions. Yep. It's yeah. just eventually you do enough stuff that stuff's going to happen. So it's a lot of upfront training and just being flexible and then like i said conditioning your body to just hit the ground and take repeated abuse much like you know martial artists would do anyways um but a lot of yeah falling we practiced like i said just falling down for an hour you fall into the ground you know so <laughs> where does hypertrophy come into this i mean i used to hear stories in muscle magazines about guys you know bodybuilders are so thickly built they get in a car wreck and, you know, they say I would have been killed or really destroyed if I wasn't this thick muscularly. Um, does hypertrophy play a big role in you being, you know, tough and not spraining everything every time you, you know, perform? I, I think definitely. Um, there's a part, I think, where the, like I said, with falling down, the heavier you are, you know, the harder you're going to fall. But also, you know, you have a little more cushion, you know, when you... 
I believe my most of my bones and stuff are pretty protected within my, I guess, muscular frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it does add a lot more force. You know, my 240 pounds hitting the ground versus a guy who's 160, 170 pounds hitting the ground. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it, it goes back and forth, but you've got to be in great shape and you need to be – there's definitely a huge strength aspect to it. Um, you can't be weak because things will just, you know, break. You know, a lot of times – when you're, say, jumping out of a window or something like that, you, yes, they'll put a wire on you so you slow down when you hit the ground and it's not so jarring. But you need to be able to absorb that force with your legs and hips, you know, of you dropping maybe six feet. And, you know, they, they'll say a six-foot fall will, will kill most people if you land on your head. So now you've got to do it and land on your feet, you know, and then do it 10, 15 more times if the director wants that done. Oh. So, you have to be you know not only strong but muscular endurance to keep that stuff up for of course you know we're shooting 12 14 hour days as well so it it definitely adds up and you do feel like you've played some sort of sporting event like very full contact sporting event at the end of every day yeah no wonder you're interested in curcumin and and some of this muscle recovery (laughs) stuff being all beat up all the time (laughs) that's kind of where my supplement line has shifted to just from from the stuff that's going to make me huge and ripped versus the stuff that's going to keep my body moving on a day-to-day <laughs> right, basis. Right. Glucosamine and, and curcumin versus, you know, just a ton of, ton of other stuff. Mm-hmm. How do you keep sort of, um, training and nutrition, um, up while working on a film and then uh, kind of related to that in terms of films you've worked on, do you see other, you know, actors and actresses do things that are similar or is it just kind of, you kind of have to prepare as best you can, and when you're here, you're just you know working for those amount of hours and try to recovery when you're offset. Or how does it work? Yeah, actually, it's kind of the way it works. When you when you're not you know on set or, or currently filming, it's a lot of training, a lot of recovery, a lot of just fixing everything. Um, on set is actually it can be really difficult, um, and I'd say it's more due to temptation because what they have this thing called craft services we call crafty, where it's literally just this. <laughs> table slash cart full of everything that you should never be eating like (laughs) Twinkies, M&M's all the stuff that I don't know why they're feeding people that need to be on their feet for 12 to 14 hours why you would feed them this garbage Um, it's you know it's nice every once in a while to just grab a handful of M&M's but for you know a guy like me who's used to constant nutrition you know eating every three to four hours it can be really tough, and a lot of times you end up having to pack your own food. But, of course, after a couple months of living out of a hotel, trying to pack your own food and prepare stuff, you don't even have a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you worked 14 hours uh, the day before. The last thing you want to do is come home and start cooking. Yeah. Um, it, it, it definitely takes a toll on you, and I'd say, yeah, over the course of a show, you're definitely pretty run down by the end. And most of the crew will end up getting sick in some way, and – uh that's I, I kind of feel why you don't – a lot of people will do a movie that's maybe three, four months and then take two months off where you just don't do mm. anything. Um, plus, you know, you're out of town. You didn't. Th- there's the added stress as well as, of course, sleeping in a hotel. You're not in your own bed. Um, if your family – you know, a lot of times your family can't come with you, so you haven't seen your wife or your kids in three months. Um, so all that compounded with the physical abuse <laughs> and the long hours, it, it's definitely a recipe for – a good way to you know get hurt, but you got to push through, and that's where the tr- that's where the immense amount of training kicks in um, to mm-hmm. be able to get you through that. 
It almost makes me think a little bit of almost like pro wrestling, right? Because those exactly. guys are touring that's exact, that's exactly 300 days. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like you think of because I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a big fan of WWE and I've watched it on and off, you know, throughout the years. And I mean, you think about these guys who just have kind of like these larger than life, you know, physiques. It's almost just like they're kind of like bodybuilders and athletic, you know, you know, performers. That I mean, these guys are like. Are actual like performers, and they put on performances in the ring for crowds. And, yeah, very athletic. And they and, they, and, they're, and they travel three hundred plus days a year. And what you see on, I've actually been in the ring twice, and I've gotten, I've taken falls, I've gotten hit uh, with a chair, like a fifty pound bag of chalk. And I mean, you you do get hurt. I mean, and the stuff that you see on TV, you know, is is very real. Um, and then, for example, like you know, when you watch a show like on Monday nights or whatever. What you see on TV is only kind of like the tip of the iceberg. I mean, these guys are performing, you know, upwards of six days a week with, you know, little time off, especially if you're like the mid card, you know, type of guys. And it's really tough on the body. I mean, it's hard to just maintain that same amount of intensity um, in in ring performance. And then you also have to train on top of that as well and just the stress of just traveling. So it's um, it's almost exactly you're right, Mike. It's like it's like pro wrestling, except. You know, for for movies, you're in one specific, you know, or, or a small uh, multitude of locations over the course of like, you know, three or four months. You're not traveling, you know, every single day or, or multiple times a week. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's incredibly hard, you know, physically, of course, emotionally and mentally as well. You know, the point's well taken, though, uh, that, that Kale's making, I think, that you know, I think a lot of times we're spoiled, right? And I think in the muscle and oh, strength yeah. sports in that uh, the training can be brutal because you're sleeping eight or nine hours a night. You're eating every three hours. You go home to your family. And it's a whole nother ball of wax, I would think, to be beat up 14 hours a day on a daily basis where you don't have that support system. You know, you would just be – it's like being vulnerable, be a badass while you're strung out. And I think that's got to be way harder. Yeah. yeah, and and to, about the pro wrestlers, yeah, those guys are incredible athletes. Um, incredible. You, you, never, you see the performance and you, you of course, say, you know, it's fake, it's fake, but it, it's really not. Like those guys are doing, you know, they're jumping 10, 12 feet in the air and landing on their backs, landing on their sides. Um, yep. And the same with stunt work. Yeah, like, yeah, we, we pull the punches a little bit, but, you know, if some guy's going to kick you in the chest, you're getting kicked in the chest. And, <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's not a hundred percent, but it's still it it it's definitely you take a beating. So uh, I've worked with a couple pro wrestlers. Uh, a lot have made the transition to stunt work, and yeah, those guys are those guys are legit, and they're they're good athletes. Oh yeah, cool. And um, what are some of the films you've worked on? Any cool stories from working on the films you'd want to share with us? Because I know you've got a bunch of really cool stories. Um, I, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was kind of crazy that the. the I guess I had a pretty crash course into stunt work. Um, I was in, they made Universal Soldier 4, which, yeah, they, they still they still make oh. those, I believe. Um, <laughs> and it was my first job ever, and it was shot in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, and they flew me down there, and I really had no idea what I was getting into, honestly. Um, and then I, I get this call from the wardrobe department as soon as I land. They say, send me your sizes. And I say, okay, cool. And then she goes, oh, wait, never mind. Actually, you're going to be naked, so we don't need your sizes. And <laughs> I, then I'm like, oh, God, what? 
So I call oh, the stunt man. coordinator, and he, he kind of laughs. He's like, oh, we got you confused with the other guy. He's like, you will have pants on. I'm like, oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> but uh, the scene, and I don't know if you've seen Universal Soldier 4. Um, I think you should all go watch it because then I'll get residuals. But uh, as far <laughs> as quality of the movie, it might not be the best choice. But the scene is we're in this, I, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, whorehouse, and we're all these super soldiers there that are, you know, obviously got got ourselves some women. And, you know, my scene is I've got this dominatrix type woman who's pounding nails through my hand as I get drunk because that's, you know, we're super soldiers and we're just trying to, you know, get our get our rocks off. And and then I got to go out and I got to fight this guy, Andre Orlovsky, who's a, a, a professional MMA fighter, big, big Russian guy, scary guy. So. Here I am in a room, no shirt on. I've got a, a half-naked girl with me who's fake pounding nails through my hands as I'm sipping this fake whiskey out of a bottle, and then i got to run out of this room and fight a guy in a hallway who's shooting a shotgun at me. And uh, it was quite a surreal experience. <laughs> so, <laughs> And then, of course, he he's already shot up the entire house, so there's these naked women that are scattered all around the house that have been shot, and they just have to lay there dead. So as I stumble over a pile of unclothed women trying to fight a guy with a shotgun, uh, it, it was it was pretty crazy for me. Um, <laughs> that was my crash course into now you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be a stunt guy from now on, and uh, it only it only actually it only got better from there. That was that was pretty jarring, but it got me into the business, um, <laughs> and it was cool from then on. Uh, we I'd say, and then I got. Probably my other biggest role was in was on Teen Wolf, um, little MTV show. It's kind of a teenage thing, but I play. I got to play a big werewolf um, who just kind of beat everybody up, which was great. Um, <laughs> oh, the weirdest part because it is a teenage show, and they're all these very metrosexual looking types. I, I had to shave almost my entire body to play a werewolf, which is kind of weird. That, but, that is uh, weird, isn't it? But I had a, you know, full, they put me in prosthetic full face mask, which was another crazy experience, you know, like four to five hours in a makeup chair, just oh, getting man. a fake oh. mask put on, <laughs> you know, and then they, you know, I sit in my trailer for another four hours. And then of course, yeah, they bring me to set and they're like, okay, great energy. And I'm thinking, wow, this <laughs> is, this is tough. Like it, it, it takes a lot of work, um, to get in that state of mind. Yeah, just really, turn it on like that. Yeah, now you got to kick ass. And you're like, whoa, dude, give at me least, a minute. At least you got to beat on some little twinks, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thinking it's kind of um, – it's, it's just like what you were kind of alluding to. I mean it's – I'm sure you've been in situations and positions to where it, the, the, the makeup and, and the choreography takes so long and so many hours, but yet the actual scene itself takes a matter of minutes. Am I, am I correct on that? Yeah, I mean, shooting usually gets drug out. You know, that, that whole scene might take two or three hours to shoot. But like you're saying, yeah, relative camera time, you know, they're yeah. maybe shooting for, for 10 seconds, 20 seconds at a time. Um, and then yeah. when you realize that entire day of work you put in turns into a 30-second, maybe 30-second oh, maybe yeah. fight scene, you're kind of mm-hmm. like, Oh God! Like that was a ton of work. That's it? And then yeah. of course you realize you're thinking to yourself, how can it? How can it take a hundred million dollars to make a movie? And then you realize, yeah, like every every minute costs you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know because yeah. you know, uh, got hundreds of people working fourteen hours a day uh, and all that crazy stuff. So 
Well, yeah, it's kind of like what it's kind of like what you know what we do, you know, Mike and, and Lonnie. It's like you know you, you spend you know twenty weeks or you know for strongman, it's typically anywhere from like you know minimum of eight up to say like you know twelve to fifteen weeks, you know, preparing for a contest, and then you know contest day comes around and it lasts you know a fraction of the time, yeah. you know, Five and it's just very exact. Exactly, and um, or even just like giving presentations, you spend just hours and hours and hours on it, and then you go up there and present, and it's done, and you know, in one hour. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's just there's just so much like behind the scenes work that people have just really have no comprehension of how it actually occurs. And um, and, and I had I had one last question for you. Um, how how difficult is it to really um, become a very successful? Um, like stuntman to really like break into the business or even on the actor side, you know, just break into the business, much less become like a big star because, you know, one of the lessons that, you know, I've learned in, in life and I, and I know Mike and Lonnie can, can certainly attest to it in, in our industry. It's very, very difficult. Um, and actually in our industry, it's, it's, it's almost the reverse, at least in the beginning. It's very easy to break into it, um, but it's more difficult to actually get, um, you know, to be to be very very successful on, on a global um, basis. But I mean, how how difficult is it to really break into the stunt business and be very very successful over a long period of time, or even just you know trying to be a, a semi even well known you know actor? Because one of the things is that so many people in our society, um, in, in both industries, all they see is people's successes. They don't see the the, the failures and. You know, and the and the the patience and the perseverance and the determination to 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 do the things that you really want to do. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on those. Yeah, that, those are those are great questions. Um, as far as the actor actress thing, I, I guess I can't speak specific, specifically to that because um, I know that's kind of a different thing. There's a lot of just uh, going to auditions, doing reads, that kind of thing. And I, and, and of course you can take training for that. You can, you know, go see an acting coach, a speaking coach, all that stuff. And and that does require a lot of training and stuff. You know, there are those stories where people just, you know, quote unquote, get discovered, you know, um, that does happen, but I think it's super rare. And if that's what you're counting on one day is somebody to discover you, you're never going to make it. Um, you have to, bust your ass you know with 100 it's like starting your own business you know like you don't just get to you know slack off for a couple years and have a hugely successful you know entrepreneurship um you've really you're working you know all the time every day and hustling um and trying to do your best as far as stunt work goes to be a really good stuntman i would say takes uh a lot a lot of training and a lot of work combined with finding the person that's going to give you a break and, and, you know, give you a chance to show what you've got, which can be tough as well. Um, you know, all our guys for most, we're kind of a fight choreography camp. That's what we really specialize in like martial arts style choreography. Um, and most of our team have been doing, you know, some sort of martial arts since they were like five years old. Um, and they use that to bridge into the, the stunt world. Um, so for them, you know, it, it was a, and of course there's a, there is quite a, there's a huge crossover, but there's also a ton of extra work as far as the performance side. Um, it's one thing to throw a punch. It's another thing to throw a fake punch, I guess, if that makes sense. <laughs> and then also look like you get, you're getting punched is probably the hardest part. You know, when someone takes a swing at you and they don't hit you and you still have to make it look like you've just taken a, 
you know, a huge right hook to the jaw. Um, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to fake. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um, and, and then when you're working with an actor or actress, um, also, you know, you, you can't hit them. If you ever hit an actor, you probably won't work for a, a year or so. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if they hit you, of course, at the same time, you just yeah, yeah. You wipe the blood off your chin and you get back up and you do an, another take and nobody says anything about it. So <laughs> we, we kind of are expendable in a way, but, um, to be a highly successful stuntman, yeah, you've got to be highly talented, uh, pretty smart, and um, also have that that instinct and drive to to hustle and compete and be constantly working all the time. So yeah. it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's easy. Um, getting into stunt work might be a little bit easier than becoming an actor or actress. Um, but like I said, there's there's stuntmen and then there's really good stuntmen and women, of course. The women are even more impressive in my mind because – and their little motto is, you know, we do everything men do except we do it in a skirt and high heels. And that's kind of the truth. You know, yeah. we're in a suit or uh, some type of military outfit or whatever. They're, you know, in like a little tiny mini skirt and high heels and they have to do the same falling down stunts we do. So – uh, the, the women are super impressive. Uh, the good ones, in my opinion, as well. I got to give them some some credit. So yeah, I don't know. If, I hope that answered your question as far. Oh, as abs- yeah, absolutely. It takes. It's just it's like anything else. You want to be really good at something, you have to train. And I, there's a great quote by my my boss when he was doing an interview, and the guy kind of asked him, you know, you guys are kind of like these adrenaline junkies who love to just jump off stuff and set each other on fire and all this crazy stuff, right? And he was like, no, not at all. You know, he's like. We are highly skilled, highly trained, highly rehearsed professionals. Like this is our job. This is what we do. This isn't, you know, this isn't our playtime, although we do enjoy it. You know, we've spent, if you're watching a fight scene in, in a big action movie, you know, there's been weeks, maybe months put into that. You know, it's not like we just got together and started throwing blows at each other. So, yeah, that goes back to sort of what John was saying about the, you know, the prep and prep and prep yeah. all for a you get painfully edited down to 30 seconds, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. It's just like anything else. It's a ton of work. I and hear the, you. The, you know, to be really good at it, you have to put in the work. All right, well, guys, we're just about out of time. Um, Mike, uh, Dr. Nelson, thanks for getting Kale. He, he's a great guest. You're a great guest, yeah. man. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. You guys are my heroes. I'm actually – <laughs> I'm kind of super excited about this. I'm trying to contain my excitement, but this is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's fun to have it, especially because I appreciate every time we talk to someone in the West Coast, I'm like, oh, it's got to be brutal for you guys, oh, you yeah. know, just to get up so early to do these things. But Okay. Oh, oh uh, we should not be remiss. Um, do you need to – you want to plug uh, what you guys do there? Yeah. I mean, we may even have listeners who might want to give this stuntman thing a try in the future. I don't know. Well, yeah, just uh, go ahead and look us up online. It's 87. It's 87-E-L-E-V-E-N, 8711.net. You can see our website. Um, and then you, you've, you've definitely seen our work if you've ever watched pretty much any action movie. So um, it's a, it's a cool thing. Uh, I really love the movie business, although it's crazy and chaotic. But, yeah, check us out. And then we have a Facebook page too, eighty-seven eleven Action Design, I think it's called. Um, so check that out too. Okay, sweet. Okay, guys, good stuff. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, again, Doctor Nelson got us a cool guest on. Uh, I think massage therapy, some soft tissue stuff. Actually, the kind of stuff that Kale might be able to take advantage yeah. of. <laughs> I'd love some more of that. All right, all right. Well, until next week, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, guys.
Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, knee sleeves. Wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.